Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Betches Media presents... I really want to lose three pounds. Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. Diet starts tomorrow. Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. I want to quit the gym. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. With hosts Aileen Cooperman... Joey does a shampoo! ...and Sammy Fishbein. Whatever, I'm getting cheese fries. Hello, welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Aileen. I'm Sammy. So this week, we thought that we would talk about all of the things that we've learned. You know, in this past week, a lot of people are saying that they're listening and they're learning. And I think there's been, I mean, it's only been a very short amount of time since all of this unfolded. Um, And, you know, you can only learn, quote unquote, so much. Um, But I think that personally, I know Sammy, you too, that there's a significant amount that's like been open like my eyes have been opened a lot more and um we just thought that you know keep ourselves accountable keep the audience accountable and share what we've learned even if it's just the tip of the iceberg yeah i mean i i couldn't even picture us having a conversation this week between the two of us that was not like i couldn't even talk about something else at this point um agreed agreed yeah so it's been an emotional, it's been an emotional week. For sure. Um, how are you feeling overall? Yeah, I mean, again, I still feel like this like deep heaviness like over my whole body, like a, it's like physical. Um, but it feels a little bit better this week in terms of like I feel more comfortable with being uncomfortable forcing myself to learn more than my initial reaction was to just just immediately react with fear like just I don't know enough about this I just want to hide in a corner and let everybody else talk and just me just you know quietly like just like sort through my Instagram feed just just from a from a place of fear and this week I feel a little bit more I feel like there's a little bit less tension within and I feel more comfortable to take on a lot of these conversations, the topics to learn more. How are you feeling? So I, yeah, I, I, I hear that. Um, I felt like last week I was very galvanized in the sense, and and I, I took a big lesson from last week. Um, and then this week I f- I'm sort of feeling like the hangover of that. Um, what was the lesson? So, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you kind of just generally how, yeah. Okay. So last, last week I felt like, okay, there are all these, these injustices coming to light that people are finally like willing to talk about and they're not like being quiet about it or holding anything back. And I felt like a sense of relief. Like I felt both a sense of relief and a sense of shame. The relief Mm -hmm. was over the fact that like, okay, all these things that like 
I've sort of felt frustrated by um, these sort of like this overall unfairness within our society that like, you know, you and I being two women of white privilege definitely have benefited from. But at the same time, I, I feel very, I feel very angry about it. Um, I've, and you know, I felt angry about it. Like you've heard me get heated on this podcast before about random issues that of yeah. corruption, inequality. And totally, I felt like, I felt like last week, like, Oh my God, everyone's getting on my page that like shit is unfair. And that there needs to be massive sort of upheaval of the way things are, are handled in not just in like one area, but in like across the board, because racism doesn't just affect police, the police departments. It's like, it's in every piece of our society. So last week I felt like, okay, great. Like we're all going to talk about these things now, finally. And like, I feel like I've been getting ready for this moment, but the shame I felt was like, why didn't I speak out about it before? Like, why didn't, and I mean, I guess I did like occasionally, I mean, I guess I did some speaking out, whether it was on the SUP podcast or on like random rants here and there, but like, why wasn't this like the focus of my like time and and energy when I already felt frustrated by it and I already felt it was unfair and corrupt why wasn't I more public in how I felt? And the reason is because I didn't want to like step out of line. I felt mm-hmm. like, oh, you don't want to be too strong-minded or too alarmist or make a too, you know, make waves or or anything like that. And I feel ashamed that I didn't just follow what I knew was right and say what I knew and what I felt because I was like afraid of like offending people or being unappealing. And then it sort of made me realize that my fear of being unappealing was internalized misogyny that I as a woman have to be appealing mm-hmm. and and I have to be a certain way in order to make it or be likable be likable and then that sort of led me to like okay if i have this about being a woman this is the level at which black people will often approach their lives in various ways whether it's they don't want to, they don't want to make waves somewhere or, or, you know, whatever it is, I don't want to speak to the experience, but I realized like, I feel like everything in the past, like two weeks has just gone like much more to like, it has hit me like much harder as like, oh, this is like, I'm part of this because I haven't made a point to say something because I was afraid of how liked I would be. Right. Um, and that even though I am passionate about this, I didn't, I didn't prioritize it enough. Um, and that is sort of how I felt last week. And then this week I felt really tired, like really just like run down by that reality and also sort of upset that there's, that there's this line walking that like we're sort of continued to be expected to do. Whether it's, you know, people don't, you know, don't want you to post, you know, about abolishing the police or something like, and I feel, I continue to feel upset about that. Like that I have to kind of, that I can't just like go for it as much mm-hmm. as I want to. Does that make I think, sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I, I like, so I also wrote, I just wrote top line off the top of my head, the things that I learned in the first one was that I mean it's kind of the most obvious but not really I didn't realize it like you know that all self-work is challenging it's uncomfortable but like this specifically I realized this week it almost felt like when I was saying I felt like a sense of a little bit of relief this week because I I I kind of looked more inward and I realized that the reason why I wanted to hide last week, the reason why I felt so like tortured almost is because of like my own realization of like my own complicit, my own complicity, you know, my own like responsibility. Um, And I realized that you know, this is going to take a long time. And that in the beginning, I was like, so afraid of like, what should my reaction be? What, what do people, 
what am I supposed to do right now? And this week I'm like, I realized that for, for the future, I need to make sure that my actions represent like a new change, you know, like there's the past and then there's a future. And I feel like the future is really the most, the most important right now. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that, that is exactly what I think, you know, this, this is a process of, it's a really a process of rectification. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that is a painful process. I was just before we were recording this, I was listening to the stuff episode from yesterday between Elise and Caitlin and they, they were talking about the idea of like being burned out and, and the sort of realizations that people are having and the call outs that are happening. And, and their point was basically that part of this is the being uncomfortable that like you see people's apologies and it's not just supposed to be that you feel better after an apology because this isn't something that you're going to fix in two minutes. It's like a full reframing of decades of education that we were taught and the perspective we were taught it from. Mm -hmm. And the thing I think we can learn not from the narrative, but from the, the way that the narrative has been presented to us is that it is on us to stop because we were the ones who, not on us personally, obviously, but from the system of the race that we are identified with. But also a note uh, about the textbooks, all the textbooks, the perspective of those textbooks and our education was about how amazing America is. Yeah. It's all, it's all just like narcissism from the, from the perspective of a country and how like just, it's just like a circle jerk of like all the politicians or past presidents and just like every of white presidents just being like, we're amazing. We we fix slavery. Like you think like you back. did slavery. You yeah. started it. Yeah. You you like, really think. But I mean, it, but I mean, there uh, we had many presidents who owned slaves. Um, totally. Like, yeah. Uh, but I just I'm just saying that like that's also part of the realization. And like to your point about it being like not this short little thing. And that was my also my realization was that if you think that this is just like this blip and things are just going to go back to normal, you're not really doing anything, you know? Right. It's you're not really doing anything. Anybody like in the influencers that are, I'm going back to my normally scheduled content. It's just like, okay. <laughs> well, it just sort of shows that, that they didn't change. The fact that the the indication to me of saying I am going back to normal, the like there's one thing to actually just go back to normal and sort of like it becomes integrated into your personality and who you are and the way you see things and what you choose to share and not share. Not sharing is one of like the greatest lessons people can learn, I think. It's like just be the okay. I think a big lesson of this is like we don't all have to have an opinion or an action that we're gonna take right away. Part of it is the feeling of sitting with it be, and this is again what they said on the sup to some effect, is like the sitting with it, the not being able to solve your own discomfort for a period of time is the lesson. Like that is the consequence for the things that people have done in the past. And totally. that's okay because our consequence of being uncomfortable is nothing compared to like the actual effects of the issue we're trying to solve, white which is systemic supremacy. racism, <laughs> right? White supremacy. And I yeah. appreciate that you're calling it that because the truth is just going back to your point about the American exceptionalism circle jerk. It's really <laughs> true. It's like that I think is what had made me so angry even before. And I just like, didn't have the words for it because there was no, frankly, there was no reward in having the words for it. There was only punishment in having the words for it because then you're like, the person, you're the wet blanket. You're the one throwing, like, you know, being the party pooper because you, like, are a hater and you, like, are always, like, trying to complain about things. That's kind of how I felt like people would see me when I would make these comments. And I think that, frankly, putting how people would see me over, over, like, the, the the fact that I know something needs to be done about it is white privilege in action because I can just shut up mm -hmm. because it's better for me. Yeah. I mean, that was the hardest thing to accept. Like we were saying white supremacy. If you think about white supremacy, it's not a bad word. It just sounds like a bad word because it, it it's now like associated with 
Nazis or like no, it it is a bad word. No, but I mean like the I, the d- white people. I mean oh. it's a bad word now, but I mean if you think about it, it's just the white people thinking they're better and yeah. like that is that is what the country is was founded our country was founded on and like not just our country but that's just what it is and it's it's the hardest thing right now for white people is to accept that we all benefit from it and that we have benefited from it and and it's it's good that we realize that it's good like be fucking grateful for that and now change it. Right. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's the thing. And that's the hardest thing. And that took me like, it made me to say that for me to say this out loud, you, I, last week I couldn't, I mean like, I can't say that out loud. Like that's not something that I can say. Like who, who am I to say anything, you know? And yeah. Well, you are the exact person to say something because yes, you can't, one of my favorite things is not favorite actually, but like one thing I find entertaining is when people are like, I'm giving up my white privilege. You can't give up your white privilege any more than black people can give up their black skin. It's like Mm -hmm. absurd to think that you can give it up. The only thing that you can do with your white privilege that would be, I think productive is to use it to change the system so that you can get, that you can pull people up from behind you, try to recognize what their, their, you know, their lackings have been in their lives that have led them to where they are and make Mm -hmm. substantial changes to that reality. Um, Something else, just when you were saying white supremacy is like a bad word, I know what you mean. It's like when racists get upset, that more upset about being called racist than about being racist. Another thing that I realized is that a lot of white people act from a place of fear for being called racist. So they end up doing things that are worse. Yes. Yes. You know what I've I mean? I've seen a lot of that this week. <laughs> you know what I mean? And without realizing it though, it's like oh, completely, sure. it's completely unconscious. And I didn't like, that's all the stuff. Like I have chills now because like thinking about it makes you so uncomfortable. And I, I, I talk, I told you that this little thing, but I thought I could share it with the audience is that like, I noticed that I've been more, critical of my like self my physical self I've been like picking at like my body like I look in the mirror and I'm like ew ew like worse than usual almost completely taking away all of the work that I have done up until now you know about like self-love acceptance like compassion all that stuff and I realized like I had this like revelation that was like I am just internalizing this or like actually externalizing like making like this a physical thing about myself but really i'm thinking about all of this like my own my own responsibility in all of this my own um how i am complicit in all of this and like thinking back about my own actions the things i've said things i've thought and like it's completely manifested itself in the physical and it's just so interesting about like how like you're it was just it was a wild revelation Well, I think it's also like that is a very, very clear connection and revelation. But taking it even like further, there's the empathy piece, which is like if this is how you feel from one week of of like examining your white privilege, think about how black people live in their own skin when society tells them that skin is lesser, which is, again, why I think it is so important to call out that America and a lot of Western civilization is built on white supremacy so that we can be really clear about what is underlying some of our values and our perspectives. I I totally agree with you. And I also think I thought of that and I was like, um, is it that or is it as an, and is it also part, like I have like a, I feel like I have a deep sense of empathy and I feel like maybe I was feeling, I feeling what could black people be feeling. And that's why I was just like, tearing myself apart like that you know just listening to dana and last week i was crying in the middle of the episode just by like one small anecdote that she shared about microaggressions and i was just like picking myself apart and i thought i should share in case anybody else is like kind of examining them their own actions right now yeah i think you do have a lot of empathy in general so i that doesn't surprise me that you would like have sort of an easier time internalizing this than a lot of other people 
This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. It's also just crazy to me, and I, I put out a tweet about this this morning, what the fuck is so great about the Confederacy? Like, you <laughs> owned people, your economy was still shit, and you started a war and lost it. So... When, pe- when I see people arguing about the Confederacy, I get really like worked up because I just feel like don't bullshit and say that this is about history. If you want to keep this history, admit that it is that you want to continue owning people, like own your shit before you own the people. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's wild that we're just supposed to like accept that this was part of our history and not really ever rectified. And I know I probably sound like Justin Timberlake in Bad Teacher. He's like, I just hate slavery. I just hate <laughs> slavery. And I don't mean to sound like that um, at all. But I think that it is part of internalizing what's going on. Um, yeah. And it all stems from like human need for power. And this is like what all everything kind of comes from, like, politicians corrupt corruption uh police corruption white supremacy in its in its true form you know like all these systems are interlocking and they affect us even in ways that we don't know well okay so i wanted to get to my second thing that i learned (laughs) um most inspired by you sammy um but it's so the first thing that i really like the first the top the top of the chart is that like anti-racism work is emotionally challenging and real hard work right like that's and that i'm complicit number two is that i need to give more of a shit about policy so like you you know me like i've i've given a shit on a very superficial level like admittedly you know me i trust nothing and i that's good i but yes and no like you pointed out yes and no in yes it's good because i challenge everything i hear but no, in the sense that, like, because I trust nothing, I I'm com- I feel like numb to it. I feel like I there's nothing I can do. There's it's so far deep ingrained, like in terms of policy and like corruption in the government and all of that. Um, there's nothing I could possibly do. Like, I. It all and I and it, it's so much to unearth or to learn. I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know where the corruption dates back from. I wouldn't the beginning. Know, I know the beginning, but <laughs> that's what I mean. It's so. It feels so. Just so like much to tackle. Big, just big and overwhelming. And so I, instead of doing something about it, because I don't even know what to trust. Like if I hear something, I'm like, but what's the other side? And who's right? And how do I figure out what's right? Immediately, I'm like, I need to take a step back. It's too much. And I don't trust anything. And I figure the people who have it figured out have got it. Like, and then I realize that it's not true. And again, I'm complicit. You know what I mean? So like that, this for me is the most, I have the most to learn here. As I said, my EQ is higher than my IQ and it's easier for me to, to think about 
like the treatment of humans rather than like the policy and like the system you know what i mean or like society society, society. <laughs> um <laughs> i could see you're feeling that quote um yeah. but that for to me like i there's not i learned some stuff but i don't even want to quote the shit that i learned because it's not deep enough and i figured out that i have the most to learn here and that i should face the face the fear of too much instead of step away from it well i think that it's well i think that's great I, two two things is that like your lack of trust i know it causes you to check out but i think yeah. it's really just like a like a uh, a question of reorienting it to be like yeah i can't trust anyone which is why i need to take it into my own hands and right. the truth is that it's not possible for you or me or anyone to be like the main, the only driver of change it's only when you and me and everyone we know takes on their own lane in this. So like, it's not that you need to know about the entire interlocking system of inequality and injustice and economic <laughs> corruption. Like you're like, that, none of us can understand me. that. Like, you know, that, I don't that's what overwhelms me. It's, but that's okay. Like, I don't understand that. And I've been like, I, I've given a shit for years and I still like, don't know everything like off the top of my head. I, I have like a vague understanding, but like, it's, it's no one knows everything. No one can tackle everything. So it's really just a question of like, what does like, what really touches you or somebody or anyone listening to this? Like what matters to you? Like, what are you really angry about? What do you really feel like is unfair? Maybe ask yeah. yourself, like, what would you, what do you really not want your kids to deal with the most? Like, what yeah. could you want? What do you want to save them from? And totally. And then you just can start looking at that thing and, and learning about that one thing. Like, just because I you, think that's great advice. Thank you. But just because you want to care about one thing doesn't mean that you need to like, that you need to know everything about everything. And it's okay to say, I don't know. I need to read more about it. Yeah. Then that's exactly what I, that's exactly kind of the perspective I took. But then I, then I continued to think about that, but I'll get into to that later. But well, yeah. It's, it's a lot. And I feel like a lot of people listening also kind of feel the same. Like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to start with. And I think you just, this is where you kind of look within and think about your own values and think about, like you said, like think about what matters to you and your example or like um, analogy of like, what would you not want to pass on to your kids is, is, is a great place to start. Yeah. I think like the, the idea that that like you're gonna suddenly it's all gonna click overnight learning about any systemic issue like learning the ins and outs of it is there are people who their full-time job is to study one element of systemic racism there are people whose job it is to study one element of the police system right not not even like the whole police system like they just study body cameras you know what I mean? Like, so there, so that, that's what I mean about how like granular it can be. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to like Sarah Kenzie my favorite author. Please. I, I think you would really I get all, yeah, At the end download. of this, I have, I have a book, I have a list of books I have queued okay. <laughs> and that is one of them. <laughs> well, so her, she studied like author authoritarianism in Uzbekistan. Like, could you get more random? Right. But yet she's able to now explain to like thousands of people the history of the United States from like the 1970s on. And truthfully, a lot of what her her book is about, she, you know, she said this in the book that came out months ago is that like race was always going to be the dividing issue of America. It's the original sin. The fact that we were founded the fact that like so many of so much of how our government was created was to appease the southern states so that they could keep slavery like the creation of our of our country itself was was done to maneuver around the owner like the the feelings of people who owned other people right yeah that's a pretty crazy thing <laughs> it's fucking wild yeah when you when you like kind of get to the source of something and you realize how like fucking crazy it is it blows your mind you're like what else is out there <laughs> i right. need to know more yeah and when and you see that 
patterns are not random. Like they're driven by powerful individuals. They're driven by money. And something I've been thinking about is like, what the number one thing like I want to know is like, who's profiting off of our pain? Whether that's it's in the all diet. I just, think about that's yeah. all I think about. Literally, that's but that's the source of my distrust is like I can't trust anything at face value. I you have to follow the money. Well, it's like if you think about so you have these huge companies who use prison labor, and they're some of the most profitable companies in the world. And totally. you and then it's sort of like, okay, well, now we know how they got there. Because it is in their interest for mass incarceration to continue. It is in their interest because they're able to pay them like no money to do their labor. Imagine if we could just like hire a bunch of people, pay them one cent an hour. <laughs> like, of course, your company is going to be so fucking profitable. And then you have lobbyists who are then that's, lobbying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's its own piece. The, the, that's the piece of the whole government thing, pie that like, is crazy to me again like follow the money like the fact that there is like huge lobby groups that have so much money to affect policy for the, well it's not in the their lobby favor groups. it's that they're being paid well they they're do being paid you know what i mean like yes. the money is sourced from that right to because change Walmart, policy in their favor exactly so that they can continue making more money right because because it benefits walmart to have mass incarceration and you know what else happens when someone is in jail they are in many states, they're not allowed to vote because they're a felon. So they're never able to have their voice heard, whether even if their their crime was like a minor drug crime because of mandatory minimums and the way plea bargains work. And I'm sure so many people watched 13th over the past week mm-hmm. or so, but this goes into all of that. It keeps people underrepresented. It keeps the structure as it is. Maybe we don't have a technical caste system, but over the past like 50 or so years, it has been so hard to be to move upward in America that it, especially for, for people of color, that it, it's hard to imagine that it is not done purposefully because it's keeping certain people rich and certain people poor. And that's really what America's about, I guess. It literally, that is what it is about. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Should I share another thing I learned? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, there's two points to to the follow follow up of the a fo- as a follow up to the previous point about policy and how I need to choose some things that really matter. So I personally feel like 
such pain when someone is treated unfairly, right? So that's why I was like, like reading about like microaggressions, <laughs> like on a very, very granular level, like real studies by like professors. There's a Columbia study that, and and it was just so interesting because it completely like opened my eyes to like true microaggressions and like how there's different levels. And I don't know if I, I now is the time to go into it, but like the level in which people think microaggressions the definition of what they think microaggressions are is really just only the top of it. And it's like, there's so much more. There's like micro invalidation and there's micro insults and micro assault. And assault is the level that like, isn't even micro. It's like private racism, like little comments that you might have privately that you wouldn't really share externally, you know, unless like I, you lose your mind, um, right. <laughs> unless you just go off yeah. a Twitter rant. But like, that's, that's what I think people think micro, like think like microaggressions are, but there's all this other stuff like in that are, that's unconscious about the way that you might treat a person of color, a black person. And, I, I want to make sure that that is something that is passed down to my kids, that that is never that like just some, just like learn about it. And I want to make sure that that's not something that I do or I want to call out if somebody else is doing it. Right. You know? Well, yeah. Well, there's so the, so I think a lot of times microaggressions are because of implicit bias, which is a real thing on like a human level. But at the same time, just when you, it's about examining those thoughts that you have, those those like initial exactly. reactions that you've been conditioned to have. And it's OK that you that you may be like a racist thought crossed your mind. I think the most important thing is like, like really examining it. Like, where did I get this? Where did I get this reaction from? What was I taught? And it's a process of unlearning. Like you're not going to like, it's not like, Oh, I posted a black square and now I will never think any, I will never like start. No stereotypes will occur to me ever again. Right. But that's what I'm saying. It's just the tip just to learn this. And then you figure out why, why have you been taught this? Why, why do you certain, why do you say certain things or like phrases that are common? Where does that come from? Like, like what? I can't think of one at this moment, but I like when might... people say I have black friends, I can't be racist. Yeah. Yeah. But that's an obvious one. Oh, here there, yeah. I have a list. Um, in terms of the microaggressions, things that people say, um, Oh, this one was the most interesting to me because it relates to work. Um, like this myth of meritocracy. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's like, saying the microaggression is actually, I believe the most qualified person should get the job, you know, which actually I didn't realize that that in itself is a microaggression because it's sending the message that people of color are given extra unfair benefits because of their race or people of color are lazy and or incompetent and need to work harder. And yeah. And I just thought that that was like interesting because really like we should, and also we should be giving, we should be working really, really hard for diversity and even further inclusion. And we should be giving more opportunities. We should, we should work harder to give black people more opportunities. It's up to us. Exactly. That's like the idea that it's a white problem that totally. white people need to solve. And yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that that is also like, I, I totally agree with you. That is such an interesting one because it doesn't take into account that, what where you might see someone who's a person of color and you might think, oh, they've had, you know, you might think that they're on some level playing field and you might believe that you're viewing it that way. But actually, like what a person of color has to go through to get to the same places as white people is that is what privilege is. That is totally it, it right. is sometimes so much farther than we can even conceive. It's like that video where that has been passed around a bunch that's like, um, raise your hands if you ha grew up in a two-parent or if you grew up in a two-parent home, take two steps forward. If you mm -hmm. grew up, if you never had to worry about where your next meal was coming from, take two steps forward. And you see that, um, you see that it, you know, it ends up yes. being a lot of white people at the front. And this is the one that I thought was like the most eye-opening in that like white people are trying to act not racist by saying this are also the same one. Like I don't see color. 
you know, oh, really that bad. One's it's an absolute like, micro. Yeah, that one's been dis- like that yeah. one's been disputed. But like this one specifically, like I don't think is that talked about. No, it's and, not. And and this one comes from a fear from white people c- coming off like they're being like racist, right? Or coming off like they're overcompensating. Overcompensating and why? And because you're making yeah. race a thing. And like when really but, it is our job to 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 bring to here's give the thing. more race opportunities is to black a thing. Race is a thing. Right. Whether that's you want to make it thing. a thing or you want to make it shameful to make it a thing. You can't deny that it's a thing. It's privileged to say that it's not a thing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's, well, it's a privilege to act like it's not a thing so that you can keep get, reaping right. the benefits of it. Right. But yeah, I mean, there is there's so much to like examine. And I truly I truly regret that I was not more outspoken about my own examinations because I was afraid. And I hope to work this out for myself, like afraid of like, I don't know, just like people being like, why is she talking about this? Like. Well, it that always kind of goes thing. back to me about like that scene in Friends when Chandler is stuck in watching like a one woman show and the show is and the actress stands up and she's like, it all started with my first period. Like, and it was just like, oh, shit, now I have to listen to like this. The, the idea, the joke is that like oh, you don't want to hear this woman talk about her problems since her birth or like since she, you know, she just, she came out of the womb and it's like, oh my God, too much for me as a man to hear it. Like that's the joke. Right. But like it all, it, it makes me think about that. Like, no, actually you should fucking pay attention to her. You should listen because well, it'll it- give you, it'll give you like some slice of understanding, you know? And yeah. but really the joke is like, oh my God, we have to listen to this woman talk about her struggle, you know? You know, it's it's funny that you that you bring up that example, which is like from the 90s or 2000s or something, because mm-hmm. I have been sort of trying to use my own feelings of the way, like the way I feel about feminism, or mm-hmm. this hasn't really been in the past week or so, but just in general. Um, I remember like, it wasn't that long ago that I heard the, I first heard the term white feminist. And obviously my first, probably maybe like two years ago, maybe my first, of course my first reaction was white feminist. That can't be me. Then over like, honest, and then I, I was very angry about this term white feminist. I don't know if I've ever, I feel like I've spoken to you about, I feel like we were sitting in the airport and Aspen stuck and we were talking about this. And I was like very mad about situation about white feminists. And I I remember saying this to you. I'd never I I actually remember it because I had been thinking about it for like a year and I had never once brought it up to either of you, like mm-hmm. in a real way. Um and I just remember when I first like discovered that term and the fact that like I like there's a little piece of me that's like, oh, like, am I that? Like, but I can't be that. And I remember being like very angry, like feeling that I'm, you know, I didn't have it so easy. Yeah. To find what the, like, what is the connotations of, of real, the realization you're a white feminist? So it's, so there's this idea called intersectionality, Mm -hmm. which I, I, it has taken me a long time to fully internalize what this means. And what it means is not just taking into account like one dimensions dimension of a person's identity when thinking about the, the, the realities they faced. So in in my case, like my my main piece would be I am a white, able-bodied, cisgender, straight woman. So those are like my those are my you know upbringing pieces. Maybe Jew- Jewish would be part of it. Um, so understanding who I am as a person is understanding all each of those pieces and how they interact with each other. And and a white feminist is someone who is accused of only standing up for feminism when it oh. applies to white women and not ca- taking into account that it means that black women and Hispanic women and women with uh, a disability or transgender women, that those people all, or all have different experiences that have made their experiences, experience of being a woman different than mine. So, and I just want to bring in like one more piece of it, which is about, what really upset me that people would say about white feminism. 
they would say that white feminism is what upholds the patriarchy. Right. Because right. you have white men at the top. Yeah, right. This is the part I was mad about. Like, yeah. I'm not upholding the, this is because, like, I didn't think I'm upholding the patriarchy, but actually, most white women voted for Trump. Also, um, mm-hmm. th- what they're trying to say is that, like, in a truly equal society, white women would not automatically get the number two position because it's white men and then it's white women because there's white supremacy. So therefore, like, so white feminism accuses white women of only fighting to get equality between them and white men, which is never going to happen actually, because the whole point of the system is that it keeps white men at the top, white women second, and that white women in that position are therefore the screen to keep the other groups down. They're the because VP. You give them equality. Exactly. Right, right. right. You give them semi-equality, but like not really, but like, to, you know, enough. And that's what upholds that because white women are happy with where they are in that structure and they have a lot of political power and numbers, frankly, that they are the ones who are like, okay, we'll be okay with being two as long as we, we don't have to compete with everybody. Mm-hmm. So being accused of being or think realizing that I was part of this was really hard for me because I always thought of myself as very progressive and you know open minded. So this was like upsetting to me that like that it occurred to me that I might be this. But frankly, like over time, it sort of like became less upsetting to me to think of the possibility that that was the case for myself, and that that was not enough. And right. Yeah, it's been it's it's honestly been an evolution for me of of realizing so that where, over So where are you now? How are you feeling about it? I feel like I I look, there's always more to go, there's always more to learn, more to do, more to think, but I do feel that I understand on a level that I didn't before and I've stopped being angry about like looking at my own flaws. And realizing that like, I'm going to, I've made mistakes. I will continue to make mistakes. I will continue to do things that I, you know, that are not necessarily upholding of the values, whether I'm aware of that at the time Mm -hmm. um, that I do it and I, and that it's a work in process. This is a lifelong participation thing. It's like, it's something like I'll always have to, we will always have to be thinking about. um, And and to think about it from a viewpoint that's not just my own. Right. That's That was also just like another thing is like, because I have a very perfectionist tendency, that also made me so uncomfortable. How could I have made mistakes in my past? And then tr- <laughs> quickly coming to the defense of why I made them. And, you know, it was fine. It was fine at the time. It's fine. You know, like, and then like, no, Aileen, it's it's a mistake. It's, and it's okay. You will continue to make them like, just like you were saying. And it's, it's, it's that's why I'm so uncomfortable. Um, yeah. Okay. I want to say one more thing I learned. Okay. <laughs> and I have, uh, again, only touched, touched the tip of this one <laughs> is that diet culture is actually deeply rooted in racism. Oh yeah. And that a book about this. No, there are books there about are it books. That, yeah. that I'm going to read and I wanted to share them if anybody else is interested. Um, so number there's one. Well, I'm going to read Hiding in Plain Sight, but yes. <laughs> I already bought it and it's in my Kindle. Um, the next one is The Body is Not an Apology. It's And then there's another one that's called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. And so there's those two I want to read. The first one was recommended by my intuitive eating um, therapist, dietitian. Um, this is the description I'll read it. The author forges in an inextricable the author forges an inextricable bond between radical self-love and social justice. The first step is recognizing that we all have been indoctrinated into a system of body shame that profits off of our self-hatred, which we all kind of know, but this goes deep into it. And it it makes ties with racism. But the second one, fearing the black body, the racial origins of fat phobia, that one is very, very deeply connected. And it goes into, I wrote down all these notes. Um, It, it goes the fat. Basically, the author is saying that fat phobia isn't about health at all, but rather a means of using the body to validate race, class, and gender prejudice, and that today's ideal of thinning is inherently both sexist and racist. And I get the whole sexist thing. Um, apparently, like when 
being fat in the past for women was used to be like a depiction of like health status and status but then when men saw that women were getting some power they decided to make thin weak women thin equals weak women an ideal and yeah. that's that's the whole sexism thing and that's so interesting and I want to keep reading about it so anybody again if you want to read about it the fearing the black body the racial origins of fat phobia and the body is not an apology um and then I also want to read Glendon Doyle's Untamed oh that's a great one there's a that covers everything I just wanted to say about keeping women, thin women, keeping them weak. Yes. I find it ironic that my whole life I always wanted to be like this waif. Like I wanted to just be like, you, you said just that recently. Me over. Yeah. I know. I know. I still feel Jane that Middleton. Way. Yeah. I just want you to knock me over with a feather. Okay. Like it's just all I want. And Weakness. I, I know. And I wonder if that's like, I haven't been feeling as much lately because of like quarantine, you know what I mean? Just, just, yeah. it hasn't really been on my mind as much. And I wonder if that was like a denial of like who I feel like I am at my core, which is like, I do feel like I'm a strong woman who has opinions and like really, I feel confident in them. And deserves and I, to take up space. Yes. I, I, right. And I wonder if like my desire, my whole life to just like be so thin that like you couldn't even see me was like, I wonder if that was a denial of, of, of those things that I wanted to do, which is speak out. But I felt like I can't do that because it'll like upset people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You really think about it and just like, and then it, and, and you think about how ingrained it is, like just from the perspective of like being thin, just like that for, as a sexist, per, like from a perception of sexism, perspective of sexism. <laughs> when you think about it from that, oh my God, um, that was a tongue twister. Um, you and how ingrained it is and seeing that like guys just immediately go for thinner women and they don't know why and how like, and it's completely unconscious and whether or not, and not all guys, a lot of them, a lot of guys actually like like bigger women, but they don't talk about it. They're afraid that their friends are going to make fun of them. And that in itself is so... You call it... It's literally so called a telling. fetish. It's literally it's called so a fetish. telling. Yeah. And there's names, bat, like fucked up names, like Chub Chaser. Chubby Chaser. Yeah. Like all just, all just to put women down. But it's not just to, make us, to put us down... To like, make us feel weak, to make us not want to take up space, to not and to make money, to make money, to make money not to take opportunities away from powerful white men, and like, like that, and make us feel inadequate, like imposter syndrome. It's all fucking sexism, and it's and misogyny, and like, and then to think about the ties to racism, and they're like one hundred percent there. I was also reading about like the BMI. And how like, okay, first of all, the BMI, I, I'm sure we've talked about this and I think it's in the fuck it diet book, but I can reiterate that it, the guy who created the BMI, his name was Adolf, <laughs> Adolf Kukatetlet, whatever. He is not a like, he's not a doctor. He was a mathematician. And he, the reason why he did all this work is to identify like, what is the most perfect average man, first of uh-huh. all. And that, and it was all created exclusively for white men, Western Europeans, and that all of his work about the BMI paved way for all of this other work about criminology and science rooted in racism. Like there's like ties to that. Um, And that at the end of the day, that BMI was actually a way of measuring populations and not individual health. It was for the purpose of statistics and not individual health, which is so wild because that... You go to the doctor now. Like I was That's the all they tell you. Remember when I, I recently went to the doctor and I said, like, fuck, fuck this woman telling me I need to lose weight. Like, yeah, because she told me, oh, your BMI. Next time you should tell her where the BMI would be you, like, do you know where you the know BMI comes the from? BMI? Actually? Would you? Yeah. If you knew where it came from, would you tell your daughter that? Well, here's the thing. A lot of times people in healthcare, it's not like people in healthcare are treated like 
you know, I don't think people in healthcare are rewarded and incentivized properly. Same with teachers, same with all these essential, these workers that we call essential, but we actually mean expendable because Mm -hmm. you pay them nothing. You take away their hazard pay, whatever it is like they, they're healthcare workers and the people who run our society and allow it to function for everybody are the ones who are the most abused. I, that was a total tangent, um, off of the BMI <laughs> thing. Um, just, but I mean, there's just so much more to unpack there. And I'm, and again, like, like you were saying that like you choose something that you feel stream, extremely passionate about. And I feel extremely passionate about this and diet culture and how, how much it's affected me personally and how I, I deeply do not want it to affect my children. And and I want to learn so much more about it. And so that's my next, that's my learning path. Yeah, there's so much, there's so much to dismantle and every piece of it needs to be attacked. Like, honestly, like someone needs to take diet culture. Someone needs to take the prison system. Someone needs to take the economic system, like, and hundreds, thousands of people need to, you know, do everything. But we could just make yeah. a, a project. I mean, I do think we need it a project is project manager. <laughs> yeah, you do this. I think it is quite. That is what organizing is. Like that's what activism is. Yeah. Um, I do find it interesting that, like, Trump gets elected. You have white male, corrupt cheater, sexual assailant. All these things, like all the shittiness of society wrapped up in one fucking human. Then right after you have the Me Too movement, which is like the sort of the beginning of the toppling of the wealthy white man. Like that's sort of just, that was like the tip of the iceberg, but it didn't really cover everything and everyone. And it, a lot of it got, I think, criticized for not being like intersectional. Now we have the Black Lives Matter movement. So now we are taking the white, the wealthy white man down one more notch, hopefully. And it's, it's a process in the beginning. Women couldn't even vote. So that, and that wasn't even the beginning. That was like a yeah, hundred That was like a, million, a minute, a minute ago, like three seconds. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. three seconds. Yeah. Also think about how quickly that could be taken away from us. Yeah. And, and also not all, all, not all white women can vote. If you, if I learned anything from the keep it 100 <laughs> campaign, yeah. I learned yeah, a lot I mean, from the sup, which <laughs> also, by the way, that's a huge source of my, like just reading your article, like inspired by you, the article on Betches, that was like why it's important to be a quote unquote political person. And that like really everyone's political. You just choose to ignore it. That right, and I've they make money this, off you ignoring it. Exactly. So we're political now. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to slowly get into it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. So before we close out, um, we just wanted to tell you something we are doing right now um, to raise money through our Good Influence Fund. Um, right now, we're raising money for four organizations, the NAACP, the ACLU, the Bail Project, and Campaign Zero, which are all organizations that help fight police brutality and systemic racism in one way or another. Um, at the same time, we are also have a shirt on Shop Betches that says, Apathy has left the group chat, where we are donating 100% of proceeds from that shirt to the ACLU Voting Rights Project. The reason the Voting Rights Project is so important um, is because of something we were just touching on a little bit, which is that one of the biggest ways that that systemic racism, racism perpetuates itself is that lawmakers often try to make it harder for people in black and brown communities to vote. This is something that they've been doing since the very beginning. You can trace it back to poll taxes, literacy tests, Jim Crow laws, and it's still happening now. Um, governors are consistently trying to purge voter rolls in a ton of states. And the truth is that ev- all of these people matter. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of people who are being taken off the voter rolls and often these are in- this is intentionally done to black and brown communities. So if you can if you want the shirt um, and you donate mo- and you want to buy it, 100% of the proceeds will go to the- to stopping that from happening. Um, and the good influence fund goes to it it, it goes through Act Blue so it automatically um, splits your donations um, between those four organizations or you can choose how you want to distribute it. And that you can find at betches.co slash donate. You can find the shirt at shopbetches.com. I know that might have been confusing since I no, just that went was from like good. back and forth. No, that was pretty good. You covered it well. All right. So that is, that is so something where, where, you can do. So where do we go from here, Sammy? I think the most important thing is, is keeping the energy up 
because I think there's this sentiment of like, oh, when do we get to like go back to normal and like go to brunch? And I'm not saying that like no one should be doing those things. Everyone deserves to enjoy their life, have leisure in it. And frankly, if you just decide you're going to like start to care about everything and then you burn out, you're, it's really not helpful. So integrating this into your life slowly into becoming like part of your identity for the long run, for the next decades of your life, rather than like, oh, I'm just going to like get really into this for a few weeks and then like <laughs> kind of like go back to like not thinking about it. I think that the way to do it is to slowly learn, let it like change you inside. Don't jump to anything. Don't text your black friends awkward shit about what you learned. Yeah. Like they don't want to hear it. Like it's text like, your white friends what you text learned. your white friends. Right. Like they like don't you think this is stressful enough? Like without without them having to like respond to you, like oh congratulations, you learned that black people get incarcerated. Like yeah, where have you been? Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I think trying to just keep learning, like make this more part of like your life and your overall outlook on the world, rather than like um, okay, like we're good now, and now I'm just gonna have my summer, and like it's stressful. <laughs> I think ways that you can examine yourself. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest thing because let's be honest, there is a lot of finger pointing going on these days and it's it's tough and it doesn't necessarily, it's, sometimes it's productive because white people are supposed to talk to white people and kind of call out mm -hmm. like racism. Everyone says call out racism. So that is, it's it's not like all bad, but I think that it's more helpful to look at yourself and your own actions and what you're empowered to do. Um, and the and mistakes share that, that you've made. Right. And share, and share that. that. I agree. Yeah. And then try to think of it as like communicate, communi communicating with other white people rather than like telling, like no one's like going to change because you tell them how wrong they are. Right. And like making it an effort so that we're like teaching each other, you know, like, like think of it yeah. that like share knowledge something yeah. you've learned, something you learned about yourself. Maybe that, like, that was the purpose of this. This is the purpose of this episode. We're not, like, telling you what to do. We're just sharing with you what we learned. Maybe yeah. you can relate to something. Maybe this will spur your own pursuit of something. Um, and, and then pass that on to someone else. Like, Sammy, you shared this, like, thing on Instagram on story that was, like, this like the Instagram diagram. Oh yeah. Years. And it was like a, a flow chart. Um, I thought that was like interesting and just like how important it is for us to, to share information. Yeah. Like you don't know what one comment you make, what seed that's going to put in someone else's head. And also maybe like try to not make the mistake that I made for like my whole life, which was just like being too embarrassed to care too much and feeling like it wasn't, becoming of what I want, like what I guess I thought it was better for people to think of me. I do. I do feel like it was a culture though. Like that was the culture of our, our, our youth, like of when we were growing up is like not giving a shit is cool. Like that was it. Like that's because we were raised we, by boomers who fucked up the world. But then now there's a counterculture. And if there's anything I, good for, that I learned from the textbooks is that, <laughs> is that, that that will always be the case. There will always be a counterculture to whatever culture. And the counterculture now is activism and giving a shit. And it's cool to give a shit. And it's amazing right now that that's becoming a norm, that that's becoming right. cool. And I'm half, right. Yeah. That's, and that's, and that's, if anything, like, we obviously don't want to make this a trend. We don't want like activism or like, or this performative, performative, um, performative, like anti-racism or like, like whatever on social media. We don't want this to be trendy, but the fact that people are okay with sharing now, like you're saying is good. It's good for us. Well, I think we don't want to make it trendy, but we do want to make it a trend. I think we want to make it like the past, let's, let's say the past 50 years no, have been- but a trend means like, it goes away. No, meaning like it's a trend as in like it's a pattern of where we're headed. Like the past 50 years has been a been time of disengagement, of like in, worse income inequality, like because people have become less engaged. I think that if people are becoming, are trending towards more and more engaged consistently for the next few decades, that is what 
will okay. help because we also right after right we have climate change we have this morning i read a fucking article about deadly mosquitoes like we have a lot of issues to solve Diet i have an culture. article i have like, an article queued up about like the banks the banks <laughs> that, you, that, that you woke me up that was my morning <laughs> alarm <laughs> sorry i sent you an article about a potential economic collapse at seven in the morning now you, you know, know what i'm thinking about <laughs> no and i i have it queued up for my um my dinner reading <laughs> oh you're you're light relaxing wind down for the night well yeah. yeah i mean there's a lot that needs to be fixed like and and i just yeah i wish that i that i wasn't a, i wish that i didn't need to like jump like to wait until it was okay to say what yeah. i had been feeling the whole time like i wish i wasn't waiting for permission and it it has taught me that i'm never gonna i don't want to say never i'm going to make a concerted effort to not wait for permission to say what i think is right in the future i'm with that that's if there is anything someone could take away that's that's an amazing thing. And I agree. And I just also think that's a great note for women to take away. Definitely. Because we're always waiting for a guy to tell us if it's okay to text or not text or to share our opinions or not. So yeah. um, that's that's a good message. We don't um, need to wait anymore. Yeah. All right. Okay, shall well, we? guys, <laughs> um, email us, please, cst at betches.com. Share with us your feedback, what you guys think about... Um, just like what's going on, what you want us to share next week. Um, we're always open to feedback, please. Any guests you would want to hear from? Any, Yeah, any guests you want to hear from to talk about something. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, email us, DST at Betches. Follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow. Follow Sammy at Sammy. Follow me at Aileen. And yeah that's all know, folks go check out the go check out the good influence fund it's betches.co co slash donate um and we're always with you through thick and thin Diet Starts Tomorrow is hosted by Aileen Cooperman and Sammy Fishbein. Our editor is Sean Kilby. Our podcast producers are Mike Coscarelli, Sean Kilby, and Carly Rice. And artwork is by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram and email your questions and non-scale wins to dst at betches.com. Betches.